shit. The Llama Lounge. Yo, welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on all things life, learning, and leadership. This is Joe Bogdan, and I am so excited to have this amazing man back in the lounge with me today, a mentor, an outstanding example of a leader and a man, and someone I feel blessed to call a friend, Major General Retired John Gronsky. John is a proven combat leader with more than 40 years of service in the United States Army. He is a leadership and peak performance expert, a motivational storyteller, author, and so much more. And if you have not listened to John's first visit to the lounge, episode 24, An Offensive Mindset, it is one of our most popular episodes, and I highly recommend you checking it out. How's it going, John? Joe, I am doing fantastic. It's great to uh, be on your podcast again. Oh, man, I am so grateful that you made the time to come on and to talk about some of the things we're going to talk about today. Um, I I just recently came back from my deployment. I just started feeling like a human being again about a week ago, uh, and and it's just been great. How how have you been doing? It's been 10 months since you've been in the lounge. I I calculated that earlier today. Uh, Yeah, what's been keeping you busy? Man, it seems like just yesterday I was in the lounge, you know? Mm -hmm. And and what's been keeping me busy is... um, I've been going out and, and doing some uh, leadership training for different organizations, hmm. including some law enforcement organizations, which, which I love doing, and uh, getting a chance to uh, bicycle a lot. Uh, my wife, Barry and I are still out there biking. We just did 25 miles yesterday. Wow. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we did a 60-mile ride. So we, we usually do anywhere between you know, 20 to 50 miles, and we just love it. It's uh you know, we live here in Pennsylvania mm-hmm. and uh, the weather is great for it right now. So we're having ourselves a good time. That's awesome. Is it, is it starting to get humid out there? Yeah. 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 You know, it goes, uh, it kind of goes in waves. Last week was humid. This week it's a little bit cooler again, mm-hmm. but you know what? We don't let the weather stop us. Yesterday yeah. we we're out biking in the rain Yeah. and uh, <laughs> you know, people say, what do you do when you're out on your bike and it starts raining? And our answer is, well, you get wet. Right. You know, know, that is, I mean, like, so, so for the folks that didn't listen to the first time you visited lounge, they need to go back because we kind of talked about your trip that you had across the country. I mean, you went through every type of weather, every type of challenge that you could endure. So I can imagine just getting wet a little bit or a little being a little bit hot. That's not much of a big deal for you and Bertie. No, no. Like, like you said back, God, Almost 40 years ago, my wife and I bicycled across the United States with our with our uh, 15-month-old son. Mm-hmm. And uh, we figured if, hey, if we could survive that, we could survive anything. Right, right. I, I'm actually listening to a book right now called The Comfort Crisis. And uh, the, the author, Michael Easter, talks about how we've just there's a crisis of how comfortable we are now and it's creating so many issues, whether it's just stunting our growth as people to uh, being more entitled to our health, you know, and and there's, there's so much truth to that in my personal opinion. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, I talk a lot about vulnerability, you know, a leader allowing themselves to be vulnerable and part of being vulnerable is having the courage to move out of your comfort zone. Yeah. You know, because sometimes as leaders, we kind of get in this comfort zone. We're comfortable leading a certain way. We may not want to try new things. And I think it's really important to uh, 
to leave your comfort zone. And, and I think the way you do that is, is you've got to experience leaving mm-hmm. your comfort zone, whether that mm-hmm. be uh, mentally, physically, spiritually, yeah. and in, in whatever way, but you've got to try new things and, you know, take the risk of making a mistake. And, and that's how you grow. And that's how you learn. Yeah. You know, I found value in intentionally putting yourself in those situations. Maybe it's not always you have an opportunity to go lead in a new situation. Maybe those opportunities don't arise. But uh, me, I'll just put myself like much like you, you go on your bike ride. Some of it's fun. Maybe you're put purposely putting yourself in some discomfort for the fitness. Um, I yeah. do a lot of running. Um, I do a lot of hiking. I try to do things to make it a little bit more difficult. Uh, are, are there other things that you tend to do to try to be yeah. more intentional about it? Yeah, once a year, uh, actually for about the last eight, nine years, I've been doing this 28-mile ruck march. Mm. And it's it's really to honor fallen warriors. Yeah. So uh, every every fall, uh, put a 35-pound ruck on my back and go out and do 28 miles. And let me tell you, it's, uh, it is a, a, a butt kicker. And, uh, you know, it, it, it puts you out of your comfort zone. Uh, you're, I'm, I'm out there, you know, now for at least seven hours on that 28 mile ruck march. And, uh, and it's a great way to kind of put, put stress on yourself physically and, and, and mentally, because Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's just as hard mentally to be out there doing something like that as as it is a, a physical stretch. And, and I know just, just from following you on social media, uh, I think you, uh, just hit a milestone with, with your running this past weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So I was running, um, I was doing a fundraiser uh, for an organization called Stop Soldier Suicide. And yeah. um, it says soldier, but it's for all service members. And they were doing a hundred miles in May. Um, and for the people that follow me, they know that I, I run typically more than a hundred miles on a regular month, but actually uh, I ran a thousand miles while I was deployed. That was just a, a goal of mine to run a thousand wow. miles. So I reached yeah. that goal. And to be honest with you, when I got home, I was a little burnt out and I didn't feel the motivation until this fundraiser just kind of fell into my lap. I felt like uh, God just put it there. <laughs> I was like, Hey, uh, don't, don't you let, let yourself get lazy. And it was just for a great cause. So it really just kind of remotivated me. And also it was for a good cause, but something else that I noticed during that was it's a community of people that were doing it of all different physical fitness levels and different walks of life. And they were all doing it for this cause. And it was just so inspirational to see their stories, their struggles over this past month. It just kept me motivated and inspired. Yeah. You you know, Joe, you said a few important things there. You know, the one is purpose. You know, you have Mm -hmm. to have a purpose, which you did. And again, you're doing something with a community, Mm -hmm. you know, with other people holding you accountable, uh, and, and, you know, you just being part of this community that, that is achieving and, and, and doing something good. I mean, there, there's a whole bunch of uh, good things you just said in the last, you know, 30 seconds that I think could really inspire people. Yeah, it, it was just, it was a powerful, and it's actually not over yet. We're still running, even though many of us have hit our goal. Some of some of us have been struggling to hit our goal because of health issues that have come up, but they're still trying and everybody's holding each other up. And it's, it's just it's just great, you know? And you know what I've also noticed, and I think you've probably experienced this too, and I know you talked about it a little bit in your previous book, is when you come across a community like that that are doing things like bicycling or running, it seems like everybody is in such a good mood. <laughs> I don't know what it is. They're like kind people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you find people that uh, are into challenging themselves mm-hmm. uh, and really in, into helping other people into doing mm-hmm. something 
for, for something greater than themselves mm-hmm. and, and really into fitness, you're, right. you're usually going to find some upbeat, happy people that are right. optimistic and you just want to be around them. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something about just exerting energy like that instead of just kind of sitting there on the couch, <laughs> you know, and just, yeah. yeah, I think something about that just, just chills people out for real. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, it, yeah. and it's, and it's so uh, beneficial when you have other people to do it with, like you said, right. if you're mm-hmm. sitting on the couch mm-hmm. and there's nobody telling you to get up off the couch, except yourself, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard to get off the couch. Right. But when you got, when you got somebody, you know, kind of, Hey, come on, let's go out and do this together. You know, that whole community aspect really helps. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, hey, John, so we talked about your previous book and we already talked about another book, but you just, you just wrote another book. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I thought this would be great for us to talk about it a little bit because um, I was privileged enough for you to send me just a draft copy. So I take a look through it and man, this thing's amazing. I'm so excited. Um, It's called Iron Sharpened Leadership, Transforming Hard Fought Lessons into Action. Uh, Can we start off by what, what inspired you to write this one? Really from the lessons I've learned, you know, uh, spent just over 40 years in the army and, um, you know, both on active duty and, and in the National Guard. And then being that a lot of my time in the military was spent in the National Guard and the reserve component, I, I worked um, in the civilian sector, too. And a lot of that time was spent as a management consultant working with Fortune 500 companies. So just learned a tremendous amount of leadership lessons and, you know, made a tremendous amount of mistakes mm-hmm. and had had my share of failures along the way. And, and, you know, you learn from those things. And I just thought uh, I was inspired to try to share those lessons with, with other people, aspiring leaders, and also people who uh, have uh, a great deal of ex- uh, leadership experience. Because I think my own personal belief is we never stop growing as a leader if we want right. to become strong leaders. Mm-hmm. And I think for those who think that they know everything and just want to stop, stop learning, then you stop growing. So I, I just wanted to provide this book uh, to people who want to get some inspiration, some motivation, but more importantly, it's an action-oriented book. At the end of each chapter, I provide some actions that, that leaders could take to become a stronger leader. And because that, 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 that's what it's all about. How are you going to apply lessons in your life so you could become a stronger and better leader? Yeah, and that's something that I really loved about it because I was reading through it and then there's action there, but then there's also a spiritual component. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, you know, uh, the title itself is a spiritual title. It Mm -hmm. it comes from Proverbs 27, 17, which reads, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. So there's there's a lot that you could talk about with that very simple Mm -hmm. uh, proverb verse. It's about hanging out with people who are stronger than you. So you could become stronger. It's about hanging out with the right people Mm. uh, to help yourself become a a better person. And it's also about helping others become stronger too. Yeah. Uh, So it's not only about reaching up your hand so somebody could help you along, but it's also about reaching down your hand so you could help somebody else along as well. So the title is spiritual. That proverb 2717 means a lot to me. And I thought to myself, You know, every aspect of my leadership philosophy uh, does have some type of spiritual component to it. So I thought along with actions at the end of each chapter, I would just 
add a spiritual component and, and just help people understand uh, how I've been inspired spiritually from some of the lessons that I put in the book. Yeah. And, and I, I just found a lot of value in that. And I think a lot of people will, and just that, that specific proverb as well, just like your book, I've noticed it's for the secular audience as well. Like it, when you read it, you know, it's not just tied to if, if you're a man of faith or a woman of faith, had, there's so much value there and spiritually overall. And I think that's just a great part of your book. Um, I think, I think it's just fantastic. And I applaud you for it. Yeah, yeah, and, and the spiritual component, you're you're right. You know, it it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's tied to any organized religion. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, you know, I I am a Christian. I'm proud to be a Christian. Yeah. Uh, but but it's it's really just in a a broader sense that that whole uh, spiritual component, whatever that might mean to a person in in, in their life. You know, just mm-hmm. that there's there's something greater than ourselves going on in this in this great world that we live in. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Awesome. So, so you know, I wanted to dig into some of the stuff in your book, but I wanted to start off with in the intro of your book, you talk about Ranger School, and uh-huh. and you know, I remember uh, listening to David Goggins' book "Can't Hurt Me," and yeah. I know you and I talked a little bit about that before, and he talks about this part where he goes to Ranger School. And I'm not, I'm not trying to start an argument between different services, but him, a guy that went through Hell Week multiple times, Navy SEAL, he said that Ranger School was harder for him than Bud's was. And he said specifically because he couldn't eat the while he wanted to and he was sleep deprived the entire time. Uh, where Bud's, Hell Week's bad, but the rest of Bud's training, you kind of have some freedom to do things. So I was wondering, do you have some stories about Ranger School? And, and can you maybe shed some light on what actually happens during Ranger School? Because most of us have no clue. Yeah, well, Ranger School was very difficult uh, for me. And I was I was so proud when I was able to graduate from Ranger School. It meant a lot to me. I, I didn't go to Ranger School until I was 33 years old, mm. which is uh, probably about 10 years older than most people who, who attend Ranger School. I actually had my birthday there, so I graduated when I was 34. Mm. Uh, and uh, it, it was difficult. But, you know, I was one thing I learned about Ranger School is it, it, it's more mind and heart than it is body. Hmm. If you have the heart and you believe, you know, when you're in your soul and in your mind that you're going to graduate, the likelihood of you graduating is, is, is so much greater. And I, I really just believed I, I was going to, you know, just a funny story. Uh, first of all, just a little bit about Ranger School. It's several mm-hmm. phases. When I went through, it was 72 days long. There was the city week phase at Fort Benning. And then we went up to the mountains in Dahlonega, Georgia, North, North Georgia. And, uh, you know, it was rock climbing and rappelling and, and patrolling. And then we go down to Florida, the swamps in Florida. And again, a lot of patrolling through the swamps in Florida. And then with the fa- with the ranger school that I went through, there was a desert phase. Hmm. Uh, it seems that ranger school, sometimes there's a desert phase, sometimes there isn't. But when I went through, there was a desert phase. And that was out at Dugway, uh, Utah. And uh, that was actually my favorite phase, believe it or not, because uh, there was more of an emphasis on learning there than than just the the torturous uh, <laughs> environment of ranger school with very little sleep, very little food, a lot of harassment from the from the ranger instructors. Mm-hmm. But uh, a great course, but just a quick funny story. When I was in the Florida phase, now and again, you do eat in a mess hall. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Most, of, most of it is MREs out in the field, meals ready to eat out in the yeah. field. But uh, now and then you do eat in a mess hall and we were, you know, you, you go into the mess hall, you get your tray filled with food. And by the time you're ready to sit down, these ranger instructors are, you know, yelling at you to leave. So even if your tray is filled with food, sometimes you don't get a chance to eat at all. Yeah. But I, I was sitting at the table, you know, just sat down. I had this, I had one piece of silverware. It was a, a large tablespoon. And I was just like shoveling this chow into my into my mouth as quick as I could. And the and the first sergeant who was uh, you know part of the Ranger cadre there comes up to me and he goes, Ranger, I'm giving you a, a major plus spot report, you know, which which you know you could get you get negative spot reports, positive spot reports, but I got a, a major plus positive spot report for eating chow in a very motivated way. So I, I, don't think, I don't think I'll ever forget that one. Yeah, they should give a ribbon for that one. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that, that's awesome. That's awesome. I really appreciate you sharing a little bit of that for us because most of our audience is military, but um, I would say the majority probably haven't gone through ranger school and just heard things. So very cool. Yeah, yeah. But, so, you know, another thing that I really loved about your book was how it's broken down. And when I was um, going over it, I thought about, this is just a thought that came to mind. You know, a lot of times people focus on what the roadmap to success is, or what is the roadmap or blueprint or checklist to get promoted. And and oftentimes we don't take the time to really build those foundational values and competencies to get to where we need to be. So we're, we're doing it backwards. A lot of times we're looking at just actions. These are actions that we can do versus building upon um, ourselves and, and mastering ourselves first, which usually leads to success, whatever success kind of looks like for you. And I loved how your book really breaks down, breaks it down into areas of character, competence, and resilience. And I was hoping maybe you can walk us through some of that and, and maybe we could start with character and your perspectives on that. Yeah, with, with character, I, I kind of further break character down into into values and into integrity slash trust and into caring about people. And, uh, you know, just a couple of things with that. First of all, I, I do believe people have to take the time to be introspective enough to really determine what their own personal core values are. You know, in mm-hmm. the army, you know, we have, we have our army values, loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. Mm-hmm. But, uh, along with that, I, I think you have to be introspective and understand what your own personal core values are. And uh, that, that helps in a variety of ways. Uh, first of all, you know, for, for those people who are out there in the civilian workforce and deciding what type of company to work for, most companies have core values or mm-hmm. you know, organizational values. And if you know what your core values are, you th- could then align your, your own personal core values with the values of a company that you're thinking of, of working for. So that, that that's a very useful tool. Uh, the other thing with, with core values, if, if you truly understand what your core values are and make a commitment to live by your core values, then the key is whenever you're faced with a decision, mm-hmm. you've got to factor your core values into those personal decisions that you make. And I think if you uh, and I don't think a lot of people think about that. No, you know, I, no, yeah. You know, when you're making a either. personal decision, you know, uh, I don't know how many people really 
take the time to deliberately think about, hey, what are my core values and how are they factoring into this decision? Mm -hmm. But I think if you do that, you're going to stay uh, on, on a good path. You know, integrity, uh, I think, is is uh, so important to to being a good leader. And, and that and that kind of goes right into the cultivating trust uh, in, in the organization that you in the, in the organization leader and the team that you lead. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, th- those two things kind of go hand in hand. And then care, you know, that that's really uh, placing the welfare of those you lead mm-hmm. uh, above your own welfare. And that's easy to say, but very, very hard to do. I think I think the only people who could almost naturally uh, place the welfare of others above their own welfare are parents. You know, most mm-hmm. parents could place the welfare of their children above their own welfare. Yeah. And most parents want to see their, their, their children do better than they, they have done. But leaders have to feel the exact same way about, about the people they lead. You know, you've, you've, you know, when things go well in an organization, you, you've got to give the people who work for you all the credit. When things don't go so well, you as a leader have, has to shoulder that responsibility. So, so that's they all fall fall under character. And then, of course, uh, I could talk about competence and, and resilience if yeah. you'd like, unless you have yeah. any particular questions or follow up on the element of character. Yeah, you know, I just think of the word character, and a lot of times people look at it as this concept that's really hard for you know to to break down. And you know, say we always say, hey, we, we're looking for people of character, right? Mm-hmm. And I oftentimes break down my views on character as a, a, a person that's a great team player, someone who who is willing to put others in front of themselves, like you said. Um, yeah. I oftentimes describe it as a person that's willing to take the bunt for the team when their home run records on the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are things that you know that show character. And I remember uh, in Mattis's book, he talks about um, you know institutions get what they reward. And yes, and I don't think we reward character enough because maybe it's because people find it difficult to you know quantify. But but it's an important thing, and we need to look at that more as leaders. Yeah, yeah. I think character is one of those things when when you know it when you see it, but I think you, you make a good point. It is a, a little bit hard, hard to quantify, but you know, um, we've all had various leaders in our careers, whether it be a civilian career, military career, whatever. And I think that there's a, a number of leaders, Joe, I would think that you could say, yeah, this is a character-based mm-hmm. leader. You mm-hmm. just kind of know it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, when I talk about character in terms of being a very important leadership attribute, uh, that's what I'm talking about. You know, I read a book that I certainly recommend to you if you haven't read it and to anybody listening. And and the name of the book is is uh, Courage, the Backbone of Leadership. I don't know if you ever heard Gus Lee wrote the book. No, I think and, he, uh, he brought it up before and I, I need to I need yeah. to add it to my list. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he he talks about he talked about values in his book in a way I never thought about values before. Mm. He said that there's low values, medium values, and high values. And an example of, of a, a low value would be racism, mm-hmm. you know, or cronyism, mm-hmm. you know, those, those type of things. Uh, an example of a medium value could be loyalty or duty because you could be loyal to a bad leader or you could be duty bound to something that really is, 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 is not a good thing. Uh, but he mentions in in his own mind, 
that there's uh, uh, only a few high values and two of the high values he talks about is integrity and courage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, he says integrity is acting for what is right, regardless of risk and courage is correcting wrongs, regardless of danger. Mm-hmm. And I actually wrote those things down and, and I, and I really tried to live by those as, mm-hmm. as, as two of my own, own personal core values. And uh, I just, I just think that there's a, a, a lot of goodness to, to read that book and for people to reflect on uh, this, this whole notion of high values, medium values and low values. And, and then picking the values that, that you feel are going to be the most meaningful in your life. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, you know, I'll be hundred percent transparent. I've always considered um, developing a philosophy and everything else that you do. But until I really started getting to know you, I didn't take the time to really just dig deep and write down and took the time to actually write down what what are my values? What are my core values? And I discovered, and this might not work for everybody, but uh, for me, it it was identifying those values that sometimes when they're crossed, you get really irritated. And and that kind of helped me identify. So what I mean by that is I get really upset when people are not consistent in their behavior. Yeah. (laughs) And I realized, oh, that's a core value of mine because I always try to be consistent, you know, and that's something that I find very important to me And, and, and the character piece also. And another thing that I get irritated about is when people are not trying to master their craft and show the competence and what they're supposed to do. I was like, oh, that's one of my core values. So that was an activity that I did to help identify some of my own core values. Yeah, I, I think uh, you just gave some good advice to people. I think that that that's that's a really good way to uh, highlight in in your mind as you're introspective going through this process of of, of what irritates me. Right. <laughs> you know, when it irritates, it's probably important to you. Yeah, it's probably somewhere deep rooted in there. Right? Yeah, yeah, and I, I love I, that. Yeah, I'm that... gonna I'm gonna remember that and, and uh, <laughs> offer your advice to other people. Awesome. That'd be an honor. That'd be an honor. But yeah. And the other thing that I've discovered with the values, if you identify what those core values are, it's easier to be an authentic leader because you're not pretending to be someone else anymore. And people can smell it when you're not being authentic. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, people ask me a lot about that, you know, because there's leaders that that we respect and we admire and that we want to emulate. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean we have to take on their their personality. You know, right. I mean, if 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 there's if there's a leader like, you know, I had a leader uh, recently when I was over in Europe who was, uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, naturally humorous and and just told stories in in a way that that made you laugh. Yeah. And you know, I'm I'm not necessarily you know the most humorous guy on the face of the earth, so. You know, I'm going to be authentic. I'm not going to try to be that that funny guy necessarily, mm-hmm. uh, but I do love to tell stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, you just you just have to find your own you know authenticity and then feel confident enough to go with it. Because mm-hmm. uh, because otherwise, you're right. People are people are going to be able to root out if, if if you're not being authentic or yourself. Yeah, yeah. I just heard a sermon this past week. I was um, I was watching it with my girlfriend and. It had a great point. He said, you know, when David was taken on Goliath and he was offered the armor, he's like, no, that's not that's not who I am. I'm not used to that. But he took his slingshot and he took care of business with the slingshot. And we all have our slingshot. 
what is your yeah. slingshot? I, <laughs> I, I love that. I, I, thought that I thought that was so awesome. I was like, yeah, what is your slingshot? You know, yeah. use your slingshot. So I, I think that was really cool too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that, and that kind of re- relates to taking advice from people. You know, some mm-hmm. people try to give you advice and, you know, that might've worked for them, but it may not work for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think you right. should listen. Right. Uh, and, and then maybe take some, some elements of it, but you don't necessarily have to put that suit of armor on. Right. If that's not you. Right. I love it. <laughs> I, I was, um, I remember reading uh, Pete Carroll's book, Win Forever, too. And he talked about just kind of like what your example was that he, he admired John Wooden and he wanted to be John Wooden and he read his book and then he developed his leadership philosophy off of another man's values and it didn't work. It didn't right. work at all <laughs> until he developed his own leadership philosophy and executed that and it was himself. Then success started following. Yeah. Wow. That's a good story there. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. You know, uh, when I was younger, I tried to be people who I just was not and it didn't work. Yeah. And at some point in time, and you know what, (laughs) it's a lot less stressful if you could just be yourself. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. When I went to the university of Pennsylvania, we're doing positive psychology and I was actually with, with about, uh, 180 soldiers, the comprehensive soldier fitness program. And I I happened to be one of the 10 airmen that were allowed to be there. And, uh, it it was a great, great training. And, but the, one of the lessons was when you start living to try to be somebody else and not to your own values, it drains you because that's not who you are. Whereas if you're actually living to your own values and who you are, it energizes you as a complete opposite. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, exactly. Uh, you know, and, and, and I do think, as we already mentioned, our followers could see through us if we're trying to be somebody that, that we're not. And, and, you know, our followers just really want, they just, again, <laughs> talking about caring about people, they, they just want a leader who cares about them, mm-hmm. who is going to take the time, you know, you had mentioned competency mm-hmm. to know their job, you know, just to do the right thing. And, you know, just, just those basic human attributes that everybody could kind of uh, ad- admire that, that that's all followers want from a leader. They don't right. expect the leader to be perfect. Right. You know, they're, they're okay. If a leader makes a mistake now and again, because, you know, we're, all of us are only human, but, yeah. but they, they want somebody to be real. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Now we're going to get into the the one that I love, competence. You know, and yeah. I tell people this all the time. You know, you might have to start off being a cook, but you should aim to be the chef. <laughs> and, uh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, when you start off as a cook, you got to you're you're painting by the numbers. You know, you're kind of following through. But then every now and then, once you start mastering that, you can start adding some paprika here or some other type of. You know, you're, you start deviating from the path to make it your own, and you start being able to understand that you can skip a step here because it's it's going to make things more efficient. And um, and I love that about competence. And it, I find so much value in somebody who's just competent in what they do, whatever their craft that they choose. Uh, and, and I think being a leader, you know, you, you, you point out some amazing points and values and, and actions that you must be competent in to be an effective leader. It may be in your own way, but these are important things. I'd love you to dig into that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And when I talk about competence in terms of leader leadership, you know, I'm not talking about uh, necessarily technical competence, Mm -hmm. you know, and I mean, you could pick any field, any industry, any endeavor. And yes, uh, you know, leaders do have to have some amount of technical competence. But when I speak of competence in, in, in my book, Iron Sharpened Leadership, 
I'm really talking about certain leader competencies and, mm -hmm. and some of them are, you know, vision. A, a, a leader has to be able to provide a vision mm -hmm. to those they lead. And, and, you know, when some people say, well, you know, what if I only have four people on my team? Well, maybe, it, maybe it's more of a plan of action than a vision, you mm -hmm. know, right. but, but you've got to be able to set a direction. That, that, that's the point. So providing a vision, set, setting a direction. The other uh, competency that's important for leaders is decision-making. And uh, I think there's nothing more frustrating for a group of followers uh, than to have a leader who just mm. doesn't have the courage to make right. decisions uh, because that that's certainly an, an expectation. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, John, I feel like, and I say this not to be harsh, but in this last year going through the pandemic and everything else, I, I just talked to somebody about it today. I was like, I don't feel like the pandemic um, caused all of the things that we saw, but it exposed some of the incompetencies when it comes to maybe decision-making. I saw a lot of paralysis through analysis, uh, you know, and, and I think crisis situations, whatever they are, those are the ones that typically do expose some of those gaps that we need to fill as leaders. Cause if we're always in peacetime situations where everything's going fine, it's, it's not really difficult. <laughs> you can kind of manage your way through those things. But I think your, your point on decision-making is, uh, is just spot on. It, it is something that we need to consider and have that courage to make those decisions. Yeah. And, and, and another thing, um, uh, that I do talk about a lot is, is initiative and, and, uh, having leaders create an environment within their team or within their organization that encourages the people that, who work for them to display initiative. And I think mm -hmm. the pandemic, again, is a perfect example of that. Uh, the reason it's important for leaders to create an environment where people who work for them feel comfortable displaying initiative without feeling like their jobs are going to be, you know, taken away from them if they, mm -hmm. if they make a mistake is because when the unexpected happens, such as a pandemic right. uh, or, or, you know, some type of uh, uh, market change in the, in the economy or some mm -hmm. type of uh, issue that might happen, military, something unexpected, an unexpected hotspot in the world, whatever the case might be. When you go into situations like that, you need your followers to be feeling comfortable demonstrating initiative. And if you don't create an environment in a steady, in a steady state mm -hmm. environment where people feel comfortable displaying initiative, when there's a crisis, mm -hmm. they're not going to feel comfortable displaying initiative either. That that's why it's so important. Yeah, and then as uh, an aspiring leader, a budding leader, or a current leader, I think it's important to to find opportunities to expose yourself to to decision-making in those situations. And for me in the military, I think it's important for people to PCS often and see different mission sets and be exposed to different circumstances because I think it's just more likely you're gonna deal with obstacles that you have to overcome and become better because of it. Yeah, and, and you know, um, as a leader, uh, it's important to expose those junior folks who work for us, mm -hmm. give them the opportunities to make decisions. Yeah. You know, and, and even as a parent, you know, if you're a parent of a 15 year old, you know, uh, kind of risky, mm -hmm. but but, you know, uh, <laughs> don't be making all the decisions for your teenager. Allow mm -hmm. your, your teenagers or your younger children to make decisions. And sometimes those decisions are hard. Yeah. Like, you know, 
you know, you name the, the, the family decision that, that you could put in the hands of your, your, uh, you know, young, you know, young child, but, you know, allow them to make decisions, allow them to make mistakes, because if you don't give them those opportunities, get used to making decisions when they're young, it's going to be hard once they finally get out into the real world and have to make decisions. Right, right. And, and that, yeah, that exposure is so important. And with your subordinates, just putting them in situations to grow. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's critical. And, you know, something that you, you talked about, it kind of goes back to the first part with character, is that you talked about building trust there. Well, if you just skip to developing leaders and throwing them into situations without building some trust in that foundation, that seems like it goes without saying things probably aren't going to go very well. But so many things I've noticed, John, that we go straight to, okay, let's go straight to the coaching factor. Wait, you didn't even build a rapport with this person. Why would you think that they would even trust you? Yeah. You know, and, and again, muddy boots leadership, I mm-hmm. call it muddy boots leadership. That that's a leader who gets around, mm-hmm. gets to know the people who work for them, uh, gets to know what makes them tick. And, and when, when you take the time to get to know your people, then when there's some type of a crisis situation with that person, you already have built a rapport with them. Mm-hmm. There's a certain level of trust there, uh, which is, is is too late. Yeah, you can't you can't flip a switch and and create trust. Right. Mm-hmm. You've got to cultivate it over a period of time. So leaders need to get out there, spend time with their folks, get to know them. Let and more importantly, let 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 those that you lead get to know you. Mm-hmm. You know, and we'll talk a little bit about that when we talk about resilience. Uh, but, but all of those things, uh, help to create that trusting environment, which is so important if you want an organization to f- uh, function successfully. Yeah. And, and, you know, another point under confidence, you talk about communication and I think sometimes we don't tie communication to trust very well. And I remember you said something that just always resonated with me, you know, as a leader, your, your current followers don't care what you did for your previous followers. <laughs> like, like nobody cares about the reputation you had with them. They care about what you're doing for them now. And I think yeah. a lot of times it's funny because I'll see a leader come, maybe they have a good resume. They come to a new organization and then their own supervisor might be like, well, I, I need you to walk me through this a little bit because they probably didn't communicate what they were going to do very well because they have this expectation that, Hey, I'm already a leader. I'm, you should trust me already. It was like, no, you have to still earn your trust in every organization every day. You got you got to pay that bill every day, and, and we just kind of forget that. We just start. Uh, I think maybe a lack of humility or awareness. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 again, you know what it's like. Again, talking about trust. I and I always say cultivate trust, mm-hmm. not build trust, because mm-hmm. it's kind of like a plant. You know, you can mm-hmm. put some seeds yeah. in a pot. A mm-hmm. plant could grow, but if you leave for a month yeah. and don't ask anybody to water that plant, it's going to die. Yeah. You know, so so even if you were good at 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 uh, establishing trust, you've got to continue to cultivate it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it's it's not going to just happen, you know, by itself if, mm-hmm. if you walk away. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. You have to stay with it. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think, yeah, oftentimes we don't make the connection between effective communication and cultivating that trust. You know, it's, it's yeah. Like if you can't communicate very well to your subordinates, what's happening or com- communicate very well to your leadership, what your intentions are, uh, it's hard to cultivate that trust with them because they, they don't know what, what you're trying to do. And they might end up micromanaging you too, because they have no clue. Yeah. Joe, Joe, I'll tell you, in my experience as a leader, a leader spends about 90% of their time communicating. 
mm-hmm. in one way or another. And then the other thing I found, 90% of the problems that occur in an organization are caused because it's a, a poor communication or a lack of communication. Right. So, and, and again, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, you just got to, you know, it, you, you got to keep people informed. Mm-hmm. And if you, as the leader, don't know what's happening, you need to at least get your followers ar- around you and say, hey, guys, right now, I'm not sure what's going on, mm-hmm. but I'm going to do my best to find out. But, yeah. at least, you know, you got to you got to tell them what you know. And yeah, if you tell don't them know something. Anything, yeah. You got to You got to tell them you don't know. Yeah. And but but then do your best to, 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 to find out and then and then inform them and, you know, and, and be transparent. And, and mm-hmm. some leaders, I think, think that they have to kind of thing, hold things close to their their vest and, and, and not be transparent uh, because if people find out what's really going on, they're going to leave. Well, I'll tell you, we, we could see some uh, high profile cases in the past where people didn't confront issues mm-hmm. because they didn't, they, they, they thought it was going to be bad for the organization. And uh, because they didn't confront issues and be transparent about issues, it just turned out all that much worse. Yeah. In most cases as a leader, silence is golden is not, not typically the case. You definitely want to communicate as much because people are looking to you for some comfort, some security. Uh, yeah. It's, it's definitely yeah. a big piece of that. Yeah. And then the last part of competence as I, as I discussed it is developing others. And I do mm-hmm. think one of the key responsibilities of a leader is to develop other leaders. And if a, if a leader isn't focused on that, I really think that they're doing the organization and an injustice because mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it's uh, really, I think, a key responsibility to, to help others grow, to help others learn how to make decisions, uh, to help others uh, understand the importance of being a character-based servant leader. I mean, all of that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the mentoring uh, to help people, uh, you know, at some point in time when you step away somebody's going to be able to step in there and the organization is going to continue to function well. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And that's something that I find as one of my major purposes of a leader to do that. And I found that one of the reasons why, well, there's a couple of reasons where I found that leaders maybe don't invest that time. And one is they might feel like they're not secure in their own leadership in their own position. So they don't want to teach other people to make themselves feel important, which is just terrible. (laughs) You know, you you create that indispensable manager type situation. But another reason I I see often is just that the wrong paradigm of like, we look at it and like your dinner plate, you see your dinner plate as all just mission, 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 execution. And then, and then you look at self-care maybe as the side salad and then developing others is like the dessert that you might not get to, right? If you're full, you're just not going to get to that. And that's just the wrong way to look at it. It needs to be part of your main dish because that's your part of your job. Yeah. Yeah. It's reprioritizing. Mm-hmm. And, and again, that comes back to understanding what your values are under, mm-hmm. under understanding what's important to you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, but absolutely, one of the key responsibilities of any leader is to develop other leaders. And yeah. if a leader doesn't think that's the case, they're, they're wrong. And, you know, Joe, just to kind of point out to people who are listening, everything we're talking about here, you know, the character, the competence, we're going to talk about resilience. The reason this is important is because when, when leaders have these attributes, the organizations they lead are more successful. Yes. Uh, they, they could meet their objectives more effectively, more efficiently. 
and, and they're more successful. That's why these things are important. They're not important just because they're nice, mm-hmm. nice, you know, great things to talk about, lofty things to talk about it. They actually lead to organizational success over the long term. Mm-hmm. Now, you could be a very toxic, caustic leader and not follow any of the things we're talking about. And you might be successful, mm-hmm. but I would argue you're only going to be successful for a limited amount of time. Right. If you want to have sustained success over the long term, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being a, a character based leader, competent in the ways we've talked about and being a resilient leader are all important to, to having sustained success. Yeah. And, you know, and just on that developing other leaders, I think part of that is continuously growing. Like you talked about earlier, because, you know, I've found that if you're not continuously growing, you stunt the growth of the people that are following and looking up to you, you have to continuously grow. And that's a huge part of that developing other leaders as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, just just to kind of one one more point, I want to drive home about you know long term success. If if you follow these these uh, things we're talking about, is um, uh, in a book I was reading, there was an interview with Coach Krzyzewski, the coach of Duke, mm-hmm. and uh, you know Coach K was being interviewed, and the interviewer uh, said to him, you know, because because Coach K was really talking about character, the importance of character. And the interviewer said, what, what does character have to do with winning a basketball game? <laughs> and Coach K's answer was absolutely nothing. Character has absolutely nothing to do with winning a basketball game, mm-hmm. but it has everything to do with winning a championship. Yeah. So again, mm-hmm. if you want to be a champion, if you want, mm-hmm. if you want to lead a championship type organization, Mm-hmm. You, you've got to be character-based. You've got to be competent. You've got to be resilient. Yeah, that, that brings up such a great example. I remember, um, and I think I can't say that I haven't been guilty of this myself, but you know, talking about sporting events versus trying to lead an organization, sometimes leaders, especially if they're not mature and don't see the long game, they create this environment where their, their work section, their, um, their squad or whatever it might be, it's us against everybody else. They develop this chip on their shoulders to perform, which works well to get to a goal, maybe in a sporting event to win that game, but it doesn't work well for long-term effectiveness of your organization because you're starting to alienate your own section just because you see some results. Uh, and then they don't want to work well with other people and they got issues and the organization suffers overall. And I find that to be a lazy way of leading. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I do think, you know, finding ways to collaborate with other stakeholders, because mm-hmm. let, let, let's let's face it, uh, we are so, you know, especially in today's world, we are so dependent on, on, on others and mm-hmm. other organizations and other stakeholders that our, 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 our team by itself is not going to be successful over the long term if we don't find a way to collaborate. Yeah, uh, that goes uh, for individuals and that goes for for teams and, and, and organizations. So. Yeah, you're you're exactly right there. Yeah. Uh, if if you can't find a way to collaborate and to find situations where it's win-win rather than win-win-lose, mm-hmm. uh, you're not going to go very far. Yeah, I'm actually, um, I think, you know, I'm an adjunct professor at my college and I'm teaching a class and they're doing a case study. And, you know, you know how it is. Every time there's group projects and they're all in an online environment, they're making every excuse why they can't get together and work this thing out. Like, this is really challenging to work together. I was like, such is life. (laughs) I mean, mean, how many, how often are you going to do something impactful 100% by yourself? (laughs) 
Yeah, you're not. <laughs> you know, you're not. right. So, yeah. So this is a great lesson that you're learning in the academic environment <laughs> to make you more effective in the real world. So um, yeah, guess what? It. You're going to have to work with other people to get ahead. <laughs> right. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, you know, that that's interesting because relationships are so important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people say that relationships are are the new currency. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, yeah. you're, you're, you're going to become successful based on how, how well you could develop relationships with, with other people. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and I think it's true, uh, yeah. that if, if you don't have that, uh, ability to communicate well mm -hmm. and, and have that emotional intelligence where you right. can understand your own feelings. So then you can understand the feelings of others. Mm -hmm. Uh, you're, you're not going to be able to create those relationships and you're going to, and, 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 and it's going to hurt you in the long run. Yeah. I mean, your GPA in this, in this program isn't going to be worth much if you can't make relationships and affect and make them effective throughout your life. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, something I wanted you to touch on that was within the competence area, tactical patience. Yeah. Can, yeah. can, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? I love that section. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some, some leaders think, and I, again, we talked about decision-making mm -hmm. and the importance of making decisions. Uh, but, you know, some some leaders, especially I think junior leaders, especially in the army, you know, mm -hmm. if, if, if if you're if you're uh, going through training as a junior non-commissioned officer or as a mm -hmm. junior officer, one thing that your trainers generally try to hit home with is you got to make a decision. And uh, not every decision has to be made in three seconds. Right. And I talk about tactical patience. Sometimes you've got to let the situation develop a little bit mm -hmm. in order to gain a little bit more information so you could make a decision. And I think this gets into uh, what Colin Powell used to talk about as the 40-70 rule, because he, mm -hmm. he used to say, you know, if, 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 if you're going to make a decision, you need to have at least 40 percent of the information, mm -hmm. because if you have less than that, it's just it's just, you know, shooting from the hip. Mm -hmm. But if you wait until you have much more than 70% of the information before you make a decision, then you're probably going to lose an opportunity. Right. So you've got to hit that sweet spot of between 40 to 70% of the information acquired to help you make a decision. So again, if you only have 10% of the information, you probably have to let the situation develop a little bit more before you make that decision. And I've noticed that the more senior you go up, uh, as a leader, you usually could uh, have a little bit more tactical patience before you make mm -hmm. those quick decisions. Junior leaders, sometimes you got no choice. You got to make mm -hmm. that quick decision. Yeah. Uh, but but again, if you could let the situation develop a little bit and, and a story I tell uh, when we were in Iraq, you know, we had a patrol out there. Uh, the patrol leader was uh, asking us to use Marine Super Cobras to fire on what he thought were insurgents on top mm. of a roof. Mm. To the, the whole situation just didn't smell right to me. So just, just waited a little bit, let the situation develop. As it turned out, they were friendly for forces up on right. top of that roof. Mm. And if we pulled the trigger, yeah. uh, it, it would have been disastrous. So uh yeah. Again, just 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 you you know letting the situation develop when you know it's not a, a completely urgent matter. Get the information you need, 
to make that decision. That's what I call tactical patience. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, let it cook a little bit. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> awesome. So the, the the final component, resilience. And this is, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, it's such a key component. But I think in many ways, it be, it's become the R word. It's become a fad word. And, and I love the way you present it in the book. So can, can we get into that a little bit? Yeah, you know, one, one thing with resilience, you know, a, a lot of, first of all, a lot of people uh, think of resilience as overcoming adversity, which I do. Mm-hmm. But I also think of resilience as becoming the best person you could be. Yeah. Uh, and I think, again, let's use the pandemic as, mm-hmm. as an example. Uh, I, I think the, the people who did best during the pandemic, as far as coming out of it as, as healthy people, are right. people who went in it as resilient folks, mm-hmm. you know, people who were emotionally resilient, spiritually resilient, uh, you know, physically resilient. Those, mm-hmm. those are the people who I think exited uh, in, in the, 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 the best way. But when I talk of resilience, I, I talk of several different uh, areas of resilience. First of all, positive energy, mm-hmm. you know, being optimistic. Right. And, and when I say being optimistic, what I, what I mean by that, and it's important for a leader to be optimistic, I believe, and, 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 and the way I define optimism is believing that tomorrow is going to be better than today. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you have, you know, if, if you're going through some type of trying time as you're leading your organization, yes, you got to be level-headed about that. You know, you, you can't put on rose-colored glasses and, and believe that you don't have any problems or issues. Right. But you, you have to have that positive energy where you, you believe that tomorrow is going to be better than today. To me, that's what optimism is all about. And then you also have to exude that positive energy. Joe, have you ever uh, associated with anybody who just, when they walked in the room, they just kind of drew, drew all the energy yeah. out of the room? Yeah, I the call wet, them energy yeah. sponges. Yeah, wet diaper people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, wow, I just don't want to be around this person because it's just sapping the energy from my body. You know? right. Uh, right. You, you don't want to be that kind of leader. You don't mm-hmm. want to, I like to say, you don't want to be a leader who brightens up a room mm-hmm. when you leave it. Mm-hmm. Right. Be a leader who brightens <laughs> up a room when you enter it. So, uh-huh. you know, there's yeah. that positive energy. Yeah. Uh, it, and, and then there, there's the fitness aspect of mm-hmm. it. You know, mm-hmm. I talked a little bit about that. You yeah. have to be spiritually fit, emotionally fit, mentally fit, and of course, physically fit. I think all those things are important to help develop resiliency. And then finally, you've got to allow yourself to be vulnerable hmm. uh, in order to develop your resilience. And by vulnerability, I mean, you, you've got to be you've got to move out of your comfort zone. You've got to stretch yourself a little bit, to become right. stronger. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to the weight room mm-hmm. and all you're doing is curling, you know, 10 pound dumbbells, yeah. you're never, you're never going to get stronger. You right. You've, you've got to you've got to tax those muscles. So you've got to allow yourself to be vulnerable to move out of that comfort zone. Uh, and, and you've, you know, also got to be, allow yourself to be vulnerable with those you lead. And by that, I mean, you've got to allow yourself to be approachable. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to share stories mm-hmm. with your followers about times that you've made mistakes and how you've bounced back from those mistakes, you know, because yeah. I think that's important. And then you've got to also allow yourself to be vulnerable by asking those you lead with their opinions. 
So let people know that you don't have all the answers all the time. Mm -hmm. There's some people on your team who are much more junior than you who might have a better answer than you have. So ask opinions and see what type of solutions the folks who work for you could come up with. Yeah. And, you know, going back to the positive energy piece, Frank Agin, uh, just amazing guy. Shout out to Frank. He he would say, uh, be the person that you would want to associate with. Nobody wants to associate with the guy with the, with the wet diaper in the corner. Right? <laughs> right? Exactly. So if you know that, I mean, you wouldn't even want to, even if you were a negative person. So why would you want to be that person? Right. <laughs> so take some self-awareness there. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that, that's a great point. You know, if, if you don't want to hang out with yourself, man, right. Right. Wrong. Right. Yeah. Something seriously wrong there. <laughs> yeah. and, and the positive energy thing to me, I think, um, you know, a lot of times people want like, well, well what can I do to do that? I, I've, I have looked at, it was funny. I posted a, um, an article on the Lama leadership page and it was all the signs of a, a person who's not emotionally intelligent, right? Who yeah. lacks emotional intelligence. And somebody made a comment, Hey, that's me. <laughs> and I, you know, it just made me laugh. But, um, but a lot of times, you know, people want, well, what can I do to be better? I am aware that I'm not good at this, but, you know, and I've, I've discovered that whenever there's a situation, there's always something you can focus on that you can actually influence. It might not be huge, but you can exert some influence on it. You can actually control something about that situation. And I found that when you focus on that, then you stop the catastrophizing, you know, and you start bringing some positivity and optimism. And, and I know, neither you or I are are saying it'd be Pollyannish. We're talking about really focusing on what you can actually control about a situation and exerting that positive energy to others. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Joe, I think you make a good point. You know, you know, we're talking about have positive energy and, Mm -hmm. you know, a point is people are going to ask, well, how do I do that? Mm -hmm. I, I think one way you could become a more optimistic person is by reflecting on, past challenges that you've had in your life mm-hmm. and how you've actually been able to overcome those challenges. Yes. And, and the more you think about the small successes or medium successes or large successes that you've mm-hmm. had in your life up to this point and, and reflect on those, uh, that helps you to become more optimistic because if you've made it through tough times before, mm-hmm you should feel that you're going to be able to make it through tough times that you might be in right now or that you might, you might have in, in the future. And I, I think another way to become more positive is to reflect on the blessings that you have. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you might have a lot of things going wrong in your life, but there are certain things that are going right. Mm-hmm. So to reflect on those things, to maybe even write them down, yeah. to, to think about them, I think those type of things help a person become more positive and more optimistic. Yeah, I, I actually have a gratitude journal that I write in every day. I read scripture and, and and write in the gratitude journal, and it has four or five lines in there that you could write daily. And I always can find four or five lines worth of stuff that I could be grateful for every day if I intentionally look for them. Oh my God, e- easily, easily. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, when if people are are looking for ways where they could develop optimism and and positivity and mm-hmm. energy. Those are, those are ways you could do it. And, and uh, you know, just move forward in, in some way, right. you know, just keep moving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I think, uh, you know, that, that creates some type of, uh, you know, synergy and, 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 and energy as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I know the listeners might be thinking we're talking some woo woo stuff, but there's science behind this neuroplasticity, like actually starting to intentionally get those habits in. And maybe you need some initial motivation to get started. But, you know, there's days where I don't want to write in my gratitude journal. I got a lot of stuff going on, but I got to be disciplined to do it. And I find myself healthier, sleeping better. Um, my relationships are better when, when I do that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you, you said something key, the word discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of the things we've talked about uh, will occur unless you develop some sort of discipline in your life. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, uh, if, if you're just going to be a person who is going to, uh, you know, find things a little bit difficult to do, so you're not going to be disciplined enough to follow through with them, you're, you're, you're not going to be a very successful person. So, yeah, mm-hmm. discipline is key. Yeah. And a fantastic book that I always, it's one of the good books that I gift very often is Atomic Habits. That'll help you with some, if you know that you have some discipline issues. I had a a young airman come to me and tell me that he had all these goals, but he just doesn't have enough time to do them. And I I said, well, walk me through what you do on your your day. (laughs) And then he walked me through and does a lot of YouTube and a lot of other things. And I was like, you don't have a time management problem necessarily. You got a discipline issue. (laughs) And he was like, really? I said, yeah. We need, so read this book and come back to me in a couple of weeks. And he came back and he said that not only did he notice a difference, his wife told him that he's changed for the better. It was just, that was very rewarding, but uh, atomic habits by James clear. It, it really teaches you some of those very, the steps you can take right now to, to get a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. No, that that's good. You know, one thing we didn't talk about tonight and one thing I didn't really share Mm-hmm. Uh, very much of it is stories, but I do mm-hmm. think stories are important. Yeah. A matter of fact, in the you know in the book I wrote, tremendous amount of stories in there yeah. you may have noticed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think when a leader uh, starts telling stories, uh, it helps uh, their followers uh, understand uh, what what the leader is trying to say better than than a leader just trying to put concepts out there. Right. But if you could put a story behind a concept yeah. and, 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 uh, and, and explain that story in your own words, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to, to the people who, who you lead, uh, they, they will gain a lot of benefit from that. Yeah. I mean, Jesus taught a lot of parables <laughs> and for yeah, a reason. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, John, this is so awesome. And I'm so excited about your new book. Uh, how, how do uh, people, it's pre-ordered right now, right? You can get into pre-ordering. Yeah, that's, it's coming out. It's going to be released on, on June uh, 24th. Uh, I'll tell you, a, a good site to go to to order the book is actually unisonbooks.com. And that's spelled U-N-I-S-O-N books.com because you get uh, my book uh, actually at a discounted price there. Uh, And and for any organization that wants to order books for, you know, 25 people or more, Mm -hmm. you go to bulkbooks.com and you get some significant discounts if you order 25 books or more. So uh, I would recommend those two sites or... Uh, you know, I do have an e-commerce site, you know, off of my website. If anybody wants to go to johngronsky.com and then you'll see the Leader Grove store at the top of my page, you can go there. And, and uh, if you ordered a book there, I'll actually send you a signed copy of the book. Fantastic. Uh, but, you know, with the shipping included and everything. So I'm glad to do that. And, uh, 
And there's other cool stuff at, on my website too. You could mm-hmm. you could download a free leadership pamphlet. You could uh, register for a periodic leadership email that I send out. And you know, all that stuff is free. So I hope people take advantage of some of those leadership development resources. Yeah, I'm a subscriber and I love it when I get those, you know, something that you should read, something you should listen to. I mean, there's just <laughs> some some great stuff in there and it's and it's effective for a busy person as well because it's not just bombarding you with a ton of information. It's it's a hey, three things. Yeah. <laughs> Check them out when it. you got time. Yeah. Exactly. That's it. That's yeah. it. And and it comes up periodically. So mm-hmm. Joe, I appreciate you you being uh, one of the recipients of that, but yeah. I'll tell you, I, I love the content you put out, Joe. Uh, I am a, a listener to the Llama Lounge podcast. I love it. I learn something every time I listen to it and uh, you guys are doing great things. And, and again, you're serving our nation in uniform. And I, I certainly appreciate you making the sacrifice to do that. So I know you recently got back from the deployment. So thank, thank you for everything you do in, in many different ways. Oh, and I got to tell you, I'm so grateful that you took the time to give that professional development seminar to my team in a deployed location. They just got so much out of that and it was just great. And being able to see you on the big screen in our tent, you know, we just started figuring all that stuff out in a deployed location and it worked out and it was just so cool. And uh, yeah, I, I just can't thank you enough. Yeah, well, I, I love to do it. it. Means a lot to me. So uh, yeah, it's 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 all good. And I know you had mentioned I'm a mentor of of yours, but truly, sincerely, you're a mentor of mine as well. Again, mentorship is 360 degrees, and uh, I, I really enjoy just just being a friend of yours and and being part of. Uh, the llama lounge to some degree. So yeah, thank absolutely. You. You're, you're definitely part of the llama family. Thank you so much. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, to our listeners, we're going to post all these, um, the links where you can get the book, iron sharpened leadership, transforming hard fought lessons into action. So uh, yeah, I would I highly recommend you grabbing one of those. Cause you're going to gain a lot of wisdom from, from the gems that general Gronsky drops on you. Um, <laughs> so sir, we can't let you out without the leadership rapid fire, we got a new set of questions for you. All right. Let's see how I do here. All right. All right. Just like before, however you want to interpret the question, however you want to answer it. All right. All right. Question number one, what is something, whether it's a device, tool, program, item, et cetera, that you use to make your, make yourself more effective and why do you use it? Hmm. Wow. That, that is a good one. I got to, think of a good rapid fire answer for that one. <laughs> um, I, I actually like to put um, videos out there. Mm. Okay. And so there's, there's uh, two programs I use to put videos out. One is Canva. Mm, yeah. Uh, it's, it's free. Yeah. It helps you develop these little picture sets that you could use. Yeah. And then the other one that I paid for, but it wasn't very expensive. And, and, uh, I actually figured out how to use it and, and put these cool little videos together together is Filmora. Hmm. F-I-L-M-O-R-A, Filmora. And uh, it's, it's just a, a little program that helps you put videos together. So I use both of those uh, to uh, put content out there. Okay, awesome. We'll make sure we add those too, Filmora. 
and Canva. And, and, and yep, and the Llama team loves Canva. We use that for quite of the things we do as well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. And if, if this guy could figure it out, then I know anybody can because I'm on there and I'm like, oh, this isn't that complicated. Canva is pretty awesome, simple. Yeah, <laughs> all I feel right. the same way. <laughs> all right. Question number two: What is something you've read lately, and and would you recommend it? Hmm. Um. Uh, actually. I don't know if you could see that book. Yeah, Lincoln on Leadership. Yeah, it's actually a very good book. I, I listened to this mm-hmm. book on audio okay. uh, a couple of months ago, and it had so many good things in, in here. And one of the things I like about the book the most is that it really, the author gets into a lot of the stories Lincoln used to tell. Ah, and, yeah. And the little sayings he used to have. Like yeah. one, one saying that, that he had, that I've been using so much that I think I'm going to drive my, my wife crazy. You know, Lincoln used to said, if you can't do the skinning, the least you could do is hold the leg, <laughs> you know? And, and basically what he was saying is yeah. like, if, like if you're not expert enough to, to do the work, at least you could help in right. some degree. Right. You know? Yeah. And, and so that's just an example of one of the little Lincoln ism sayings yeah. in that book. And, yeah. and I, I just actually got that book yesterday. Okay. Didn't have a chance to read it yet, but I listened to it on audio. It was awesome. So now I want to read it. That's great. Yeah. It's interesting how like sometimes, you know, you get a book on audio and then you end up wanting to read it or vice versa. Yeah. I've been, I've been actually doing that to quite a few books as well. <coughs> and um, yeah, I'm actually reading a book that I, I would love to send you a copy of. I think you'd really like it. Um, it's called Man at Arms. It's by Stephen Pressfield. It's fictional but there's a character and he's just, he, he's a warrior and he's hired by the Romans to try to stop the, the apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And huh. yeah, it's, it's just a fantastic book. And Pressfield does a great job of just painting a picture with his words, you know? So yeah. um, and what's the name of that one? Uh, Man at Arms. So I, I, it'd be an honor if you let me send it to you after this, I'll get your info again so that I can oh, shoot it over to you. That'd be cool. And, I, and I'll tell you, I, I love Gates of Fire. Mm, yeah by Prescott. Mm-hmm. You, you've probably read that one about the spartans I, I have not and i've heard so many great things about it and that's on the list yeah it's just yeah i heard it was great <clears throat> that book inspires the heck out of me yeah and uh yeah i highly recommend that to anyone who wants to have a warrior mindset yeah uh great book yeah that's awesome <laughs> all right <clears throat> question number three what is something you do to mellow yourself out when you're angry, anxious, frustrated, or down on yourself? Mm. You know, I struggle with uh, controlling my temper over small things sometimes, mm. and I'm trying to get better at uh, the art of pausing mm. before yeah. I speak. Uh, you know, if, if something just really irritates me, I just want to blurt out something angry and I'm, I'm really trying to learn how to pause before I do that. Hmm. But really my go-to is, uh, has always been some type of exercise. I don't run as much as I used to. Hmm. I actually like to go out for these nice uh, walks now to just kind of get my mind together and kind of mellow me out. Yeah. And if I'm anxious or if I'm depressed about something, I'll, I'll go out for these walks and, and usually in the woods somewhere, you know, we have some nice woods here in Pennsylvania. I like to go off for a hike or something, you know, maybe just four miles or so mm-hmm. just out there for about an hour, a little over an hour that helps mellow me out. 
Yeah. Yeah. They've actually, um, have some, I remember I was listening to actually the book I'm listening to right now, the, um, the comfort crisis, they're talking about Japanese, the diet, the concept of forest bathing and how much it actually helps your stress levels and just walking through the woods, you know, yeah. and just taking the yeah. nature. So that's, that's really yeah. awesome. That's my form of meditation, you know, yeah. just, just yeah. going for a walk like that. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So this is the deep question. All right. Here, here's the last oh, one. I thought, I thought they were all pretty deep. <laughs> now I'm in trouble. All right. So let's say at your 80th birthday, we are having a tribute for you. People are traveling all over to express their gratitude for how you've influenced them. What is something you might want to hear them say? Yeah, that's pretty deep. And I, I guess, I guess what I'd like somebody to say about me is that, uh, yeah, I just tried to help other people whenever I could, mm-hmm. you know, in some way, you know, just, yeah. just giving back, you know, uh, if, if everybody, if somebody needed a hand, I would never turn my back on them. I, yeah. I think if yeah. people thought of me that way, yeah. thought of me of, of a person who would, you know, just try to help them out, yeah. Yeah. uh, when they needed a, a helping hand that would make me, that would make me feel good. Mm. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's why I think that, um, you know, we talked, we talk a lot about various leadership topics and perspectives in life. And I think, you know, beginning with the end in mind, developing that idea of what you want at the end, you know, it's never too early to think, what would I want someone to say at my 80th birthday? Not, not an ego trip or anything, but if this is what I want them to feel or, you know, that they got from me, how do I make that happen today and doing that yeah. regularly? That, that, that is a great, a great exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if, if, you know, I just said that, so what am I doing in my life mm-hmm. to help others? You know, yeah. what am I doing in my life to serve others? Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's an important thing to think about. If, if that's how I want to be remembered, mm-hmm. I've, I've got to act on that now. Yeah. Yeah. I tell people, I was like, do you want your spouse to say, uh, he was an all right husband or she was an all right wife. Like, or do you want them to say something a little bit more? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, if you want them to say more, what are you doing to make sure that happens every day? You know? Yeah. 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 That's a good, I love those rapid fire questions, man. They were pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Well, I appreciate that last one. Yeah. I appreciate you being such a, such a great sport about it. And I'm so grateful for you coming on, sharing all of this great wisdom with the audience and with me always. I'm just, you know, just to be able to call you a friend. I just feel blessed. I feel blessed. Yeah, Joe, I feel the same way. Uh, Thank you for having me on again. Look forward to the next time. And uh, again, I just love the fact that we have a a great relationship and, and thank you for being a good friend of mine as well. All right. Me too. All right. And to all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in again. As always, be safe, stay healthy, and Llama's out. Thanks for tuning in to the Llama Lounge podcast. Be sure to visit the homepage for links to products and services related to this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. See you next time.